Good morning. We just heard three promises read to us by Merrick, uh, three unique and different promises, all which we believe are fulfilled in Jesus. And I want to talk to you about them for a second. The first promise is about uh, a future man who will come, whose name will be Mighty Counselor, Prince of Peace, who will bring political justice and social liberation, you know? The second promise is from Isaiah chapter 53 is about a man who will come one day and who will suffer for his people and through his suffering and sacrifice will save humanity from their sins. The third promise is a promise in which God promises to send someone one day who will come on the clouds, a godlike son of uh, man, who will come with glory and dominion given to him by God and who will set up an everlasting kingdom in which God's righteousness is forevermore. All three of these are promises made to us by God. All three of these, we as Christians believe, are fulfilled in what Jesus has done and one day will do. For we as Christians, even the most optimistic of us, do not believe that all of these things have already come to pass. Isaiah 53, we believe a suffering servant, this servant is Jesus, and he has already died for the sins of humanity. In Isaiah chapter 9, we believe that a baby has been born, Isaiah 9 chapter 9 verse 6, that this one has been born, but that his political liberation and social justice has not yet come to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. In Daniel chapter 7, we long for this son of man to come on the clouds and to set up an eternal kingdom. Even for those of us who believe it all, and I would certainly be in this camp, who believe all the promises of God as revealed to us in Scripture, even for us, many of those promises we cannot help but acknowledge are yet to come, have not yet been fully fulfilled. And yet, some of you may be sitting here this morning and may not be as optimistic as myself or some of the others around you. For some, you may be coming because uh, you are asked to by a friend or maybe persuaded by your parents. For some, you may be here daring and hoping to believe that God could be real and this could be true. Wherever you find yourself in the seats this morning, you've come for the perfect Sunday, for you are here on the first week of Advent, that time of the year in which the church celebrates the coming of God into our midst. When we celebrate that God has made himself known to humanity. That, as Aaron said just a moment ago, that he has come near to us in the person of Christ. But this Advent season, we do not celebrate just one coming or or arrival. We celebrate three. Today, we start by celebrating a coming in the future in which we long for, hope for, and anticipate that Christ will one day come. For the next two weeks, we'll be celebrating the coming of God through Christ in our midst, in the present, as we foreshadow and taste, albeit incompletely and partially, the love and the peace that we have through Christ. And as we culminate uh, in the fourth week of Advent, we will celebrate the joy at the coming of a little baby who is God made flesh. But this morning we begin by looking at the nature of hope as we just Uh, mentioned earlier as I was doing the Advent candle lighting, hope. And we are going to look at this morning how Christian hope brings 
comfort and joy. How Christian hope brings comfort and joy. Now, hope is kind of a optimistic word, right? It's a powerful, optimistic word in which it it stirs in our emotions, happy thoughts. And yet, I think it bears considering a little bit about the nature of hope before we just go into the happy things. Here is how hope works. Hope exists when our current reality is not what we want it to be. Does this make sense to you? Hope exists when our current reality is not what we want it to be. This current reality may be really heavy and hard, or sometimes this current reality is just a light thing, you know, something that we are hoping for for Christmas. You know, as a child, we have all these hopes and dreams around those little packages under the tree. But some of our hopes are not so light, right? Some of our hopes are much, much heavier than that. The hopes that we will one day get pregnant, the hopes that our marriage might be restored, the hopes that our spouse will be healed. There's all kinds of hope, right? Hopes. Hope is a difficult word. Notice, though, that hope always is something that we do not have. (laughs) Hope is is the way a 19-year-old girl feels when she goes out and leaves her hometown in Kansas and goes out to Los Angeles to hopefully land a job as an actress, right? And what does hope look like for her? Waitressing and living in a dumpy apartment, right? Hope is a 70-year-old woman looking at her husband who's just diagnosed with cancer and who has to get significant, severe treatments immediately. Hope means she's sitting in a chair, sleeping her nights away in that chair that is a bed that you know, does double duty, hoping and holding his hand that he might respond well to the treatments. But hope means you don't have an acting gig, and hope means your husband isn't healed at the present. Does this make sense? Hope is filled with uncertainty, and hope is filled with something that a lot of us don't like very much. It's filled with waiting. Hope is filled with waiting. And this morning, what I want to speak to you about is that there is a way of waiting that leads to anxiety and fear, and there is a way of waiting that is filled with comforting, comfort and joy. And obviously this morning, what I want to do for you this morning is talk to you about the nature of hope and encourage you and hopefully inspire you to take the path that leads to comfort and joy. But you want to know the ironic thing? The path that leads to fear and anxiety is way easier and for some reason way more alluring. Isn't that odd, right? Because if I were to ask you, do you want to be filled with comfort and joy or do you want to be filled with fear and anxiety? You guys aren't idiots. What are you going to say? You want comfort and joy. And yet, somehow, the pathway of fear and anxiety is much more alluring and much easier. And so this morning, my sermon is intended not to induce guilt, but to hopefully inspire you towards something better, because in a world that is broken and it is not as it should be, in a world that we who are Christians hope for a world that is better, we need comfort and joy. This waiting is not a new element to the Bible. 
It's not something, a new concept. In fact, you could go to all kinds of places in the Bible and you could see this. The Israelites were in slavery for 400 years praying. That's called waiting. That's 400 years of waiting. The most famous passage of faith in the Bible is a passage in Hebrews chapter 11. And it ends, uh, the chapter ends after talking about all these great heroes of faith. And it says this, and all of these did not receive what they had been promised. But they were waiting patiently for something that was to come, for they had been promised it by God. You see? Waiting. Waiting is hard work, and waiting leads to comfort and joy. And so this morning, we have a very simple roadmap. We're going to take a look at answering the question, how should we wait for the hope, the fulfillment of our hope. How should we wait for the fulfillment of our hope? The text that I want you to turn your attention to and I'm gonna invite you to look at is Romans chapter eight, verses 18 through 25. If you're following along on one of our blue Bibles, it's on page 916, page 916. And what we're gonna see from Romans chapter eight are three things. We're going to look at what we are hoping for. We're going to look at what hoping will be like in the meantime. And we're going to see uh, how we should hope. What we are hoping for. uh, What hoping will look like. And how we should wait. How we should hope. All right, let's get right into it. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. For we know... That the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. First, what are we hoping for? Have you ever noticed in life that the thing that you are hoping for, depending on what that thing is, will depend on how you wait for it? I'm going to use a little bit of an illustration that's a little sad, but imagine a Imagine a woman, uh, a couple, and they just find out they're pregnant. And they go to that first doctor's appointment. I think that's the one where you get to hear the heartbeat, right? And they hear the heartbeat, and it's beating good. Everything is awesome. And they are filled with hope about this pink little cone-headed baby that's going to come out in like four or five months. Or My timeline, I'm sure, is messed up. That's a hopeful an exciting time, right? Everything's changed, nothing's changed, you know? You can still go to the, you can still go eat out and go to movies and not have to get a babysitter and have to worry about it, right? 
Everything's changed, nothing's changed, the baby is healthy, the parents are happy, hope. There's all the dreams of what you hope for that child, there's hope, right? And you wait in a different way than the couple on the other hand. And I'm not just trying to be a downer, I promise you. I've had multiple friends who've gone through this exact situation, it stinks. You find out, you know, you look at the, the indicator and you find out you're pregnant. You go to that meeting for that first doctor appointment when you find out the heartbeat and they do the sonogram later and you find out that things are not good and that your baby is only expected to live only but a couple hours. I've had multiple friends have this happen. And that baby, as you wait, what is a pregnancy? Nine months, right? And you wait for nine months with a life that is not expected to live, that waiting period is a little different than the other waiting period, isn't it? Because what we are hoping for determines how we wait for it. Does this make sense? And so in a world that is so difficult and broken, what is it that we are waiting for? What is a distinctly Christian approach to what we long for, for what we hope for? Our text says it in a couple different ways, but I'll just say it in my own words. What the text is telling us is that what we as Christians are actually waiting for is for God's reality to come to earth. For God's reality to come to earth. The text says it in a few different ways, doesn't it? In verse 19, it says, we await, or really it's actually personifying creation itself, the mountains, the trees. And it says creation itself waits for the expectation for the children of God to be revealed, for God's children to be revealed. One commentator I read this week even said, we who follow Christ and who are Christians, we long to wait for the children of God to be revealed because at our, in our very souls, in our very uh, inner being, there is a war going on within us in which we are children of God and yet there is darkness that is within us as well. If this confuses you at all, Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, expresses it beautifully at the end of Romans chapter 7, just a little bit before this. You wouldn't even have to turn the page in verses 18 through 25, where he says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I do want to do, I don't do them. Because we are all waiting for God to make this world right and there are things that are wrong with this world, not least of which there are things that are wrong with us, with myself, with you. And we long for Christ to return and to reveal the children of God. But he doesn't just say that, does he? He also says we long to be liberated from bondage and decay. We long for the adoption of our sonship to be complete for the redemption of our bodies in verse 23. We long, in other words, for God's reality to come to earth, where things are as they should be, where beauty and justice and relationships thrive, and where we are truly free. Do you see that in your text? For when God's glory is revealed and things are as God would have it, we are truly free. Verse 21. And yet, that is not how things are. So in the meantime, what do we do? We hope. 
We hope for the coming reality of God. But in the meantime, we hope. What will this hope look like? What will this hope feel like right now? And the text gives us a most vivid illustration of what it will feel like, doesn't it? It's an illustration that I've already alluded to. It's the illustration of pregnancy. It's the illustration of childbirth. For what it will feel like right now as we hope is like the pain before childbirth. You know, the whole process of pregnancy is an interesting one. And I won't talk about it a lot because I found that women don't often like it when men enter into this experience. But I've never stayed safe, have I? And so here it goes. Pregnancy's this nine-month experience of difficulty. And every woman has a different experience of it. And if you were to have a continuum where this is a smooth pregnancy, it's really easy and this isn't, every woman's on a different continuum. But it kind of stinks, you know, from what I gather. <laughs> I'm actually a male, so I haven't gone through this. So, but then the actual illustration from the text is not about the pregnancy period, although it's an interesting one. And it's often fraught with, all this hope is fraught with morning sickness and nausea, but at the end of the experience of pregnancy, you have something else, don't you? Childbirth itself. Now, when my first son was born, I didn't know what to expect. Who knows what to expect? You're not invited into the birthing room of anybody else, right? Thank goodness. If you invite me, I will politely decline. Now... When we were having our first child, the process was getting started and I was thinking, I was already starting to get a little worried because my wife was having a hard time, yes? And then she had elected to go with the epidural. Now, whatever, I know lots of people have opinions about that. All I will say is this, I'm really thankful my wife got the epidural because I don't think I would have survived if she hadn't. (laughs) But even when they came in to give the epidural, it was this really long needle. It was really skinny. And I remember, and it's really skinny. I remember... Now, just don't judge me for this, but I'm really faint-ish, easily. (laughs) It's funny. I had to give blood my whole life. I I used to have epilepsy, whatever the kind is you grow out of. So I don't have epilepsy anymore, but I had to give blood weekly. That ended when I was about 14. And then when I turned 16, something just happened to me where I can't stand giving blood or I get faint-ish so easily. One time I had a TB test done and I fainted. (laughs) I don't know if you know what a TB test is, but it's not a big deal. So they're coming in to give my wife her epidural, and they do. They give it to her, and all of a sudden, I begin to turn sheet white. All the nurses come to me. My wife's pregnant, you know, at giving birth, and they're like, are you okay? Here, we'll get you some juice. We'll get you cheese. We'll get you crackers. They showed me the secret stash, and for the rest of my time there, I went and got juice and crackers all the time. Um, But you know, that process itself is painful. Now, at the end, you go through that whole painful process and you're given this beautiful little cone-headed boy or girl, you know? Mine was full of hair. For some reason, I was so proud of that hair. Those first, the nurses would come in. I'd be like, do you notice how much hair my kid has? You know, I have a lot of hair, don't I? I got a haircut recently. Look at me. I'm like a gorilla or something, but only on my head. But... Right? All right. Probably shouldn't have said that, but pregnancy is like this, isn't it? It gives birth to something hopeful and wonderful, but yet it's so difficult. 
how should we, or what would our hoping feel like? It feels like that. For we are in a world full of beauty and joy and goodness, and yet coexisting, commingling, competing with it is darkness and evil and difficulty. And we groan because of these, don't we? We groan just like the text says we groan. One commentator I read this week said that part of our groaning in this world because of the difficulty is almost like a symphony of sighs. And I kind of like that language. It's beautiful. Why do I like it? Because it talks about how the same idea of this text, that we who are Christians are not meant to not groan as we hope. But like the Lord's prayer admonishes us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are to enter into the reality and the darkness of this world so that we can shine the light. But entering into the darkness of a reality that is bleak and difficult at times, not always, sounds really beautiful in the abstract, but is always very difficult in the concrete. Yes? And yet we are meant to do it. And we are meant to groan as we do. Not because God wants us to groan and be in misery, but he wants us to lovingly stand beside those. Sometimes it will be us who need the light and the beauty of the coming reality of God. And while we can only give a foretaste, only a a sample of what that will look like, all of us, who have been transformed by the beauty and the grace of Christ, have the ability to do something that no one else can, to show forth and to hold out grace and goodness and beauty to those who have not tasted it. And that is beautiful and and unbelievable, but it is hard. A symphony of sighs. And while things are not the way they are meant to be, and until they are, we are meant to groan. Because a coming reality is coming. A coming reality is coming. When God's kingdom will come to earth. And we get to foreshadow it until it does. So what should we do? What is coming? God's reality. What will it feel like as we hope? like a symphony of sighs? And how should we hope? How should we (laughs) await the fulfillment of our hopes? What should that look like for us? It should look like eager patience. I know that sounds paradoxical, but you can see it, both concepts, they're explicit in the text. Eager patience where we eagerly pray the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as we patiently wait for God to come in the person of Jesus Christ. Just by the nature of what I do, I often have people come to me that want to talk to me about hard things that are going on in their life. And whenever somebody goes through something hard, I always give them the same advice, and this advice is probably not taken 80 to 90% of the time. But here it is. When you are going through something difficult, and you may not now, but we all do, when we are going through something difficult, we are particularly vulnerable. We are particularly vulnerable to doing the stupid and destructive things. Stupid and destructive things. 
And so when you are waiting the fulfillment of your hope, because that means that you do not have it, and that means that you are probably groaning, you just need to slow down and not do stupid and destructive things. And those can take all kinds of forms, can't they? It can look like overeating, it can look like drugs, it can look like alcohol, and it can look like binge-watching on Netflix. It can look like a lot of different ways. But we are all so tempted to self-medicate any of our groanings away so that we do not feel them, that we do things that destroy our souls and steal our freedom. We do. And so if your reality this Advent Christmas season is one of difficulty, wait eagerly and patiently. This is not easy. This is hard work. Patiently and with eagerness, anticipate what God will do, but do so in a way that does not self-destruct your soul, your body, your relationships. If you're not going through something difficult, stand by those who are and help them. God has made us so many promises. The truth is, many of these promises are left unfulfilled. And as we wait, it would do us good to acknowledge that and to reevaluate this question. Do I really believe that God will fulfill his promises to us? These 2,000 years ago, right before Christ was born, two, uh, an angel of the Lord came to two different people, one a man and one a woman. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, tells these stories. The first person that uh, an angel of the Lord came to was a man whose name was Zechariah. He was a priest, and uh, he was getting ready to do his priestly duties. And so he was going into the temple, and as he does, an angel of the Lord appears to him. Zechariah had a wife. Her name was Elizabeth, and they had dealt with infertility for years. They had never had a child, and now Zechariah is old, and his wife is old. The text doesn't tell us what age, but Zechariah believes that they are well past the years of having kids. And an angel of the Lord says, I have good news. You're going to give birth to a child. And he tells him a little bit about the child. And Zechariah says to that angel, and it's not so much just his words, but it's the angel knew the motivation behind the words. Maybe it was something in his inflection, or maybe the angel just knew supernaturally. I don't know. But Zechariah says, how can this be? For I am old, and my wife is old. And the angel said, you will have a child, even though you didn't believe it. To show you God's power and his glory, you're not going to speak until the child is born. And that man had nine months of silence to contemplate the promise of God. The first few months must have been a little more challenging, and then it must have been a little easier as he saw the baby bump, yeah? And the child is born. Zechariah is not a bad man at all. He responds in faith after the child is born. He was a good man. He was a priest. And yet, when the promises of God were told to him, he met those promises with skepticism. There was another person who an angel of the Lord appeared to. 
Her name was Mary, and she's probably one of the most famous people in all the Bible, right? The angel of the Lord comes to this little teenage, early teenage woman, girl, who's engaged to a man named Joseph and tells her that she's going to have a child. And Mary says the exact same words almost. She says, how can this be? She doesn't say, how can this be because I'm old? She says, how can this be because I'm a virgin, right? How can this be? And the angel says, you are highly favored of God and he is going to do something through you that you will hardly dare believe. You will give birth to a son, you call him Jesus, and he will save your people from his sins. And Mary responds in faith with an open posture, and she believes the promises of God. God's promises are not going to be fulfilled or not fulfilled dependent on your belief in them. But the way that you experience reality today will be radically transformed depending on how you believe. And so this morning, as we get ready to go to communion and as Steve and Hannah come back forth, forward and as they play music and as you have a time of reflection to meditate on all the things that God has promised, I want to encourage you to reflect on the reality that when Christ taught us to take the Lord's Supper, he said these words to us. You are to do these things, to take this meal until I eat it with you fresh or anew in my Father's kingdom. And so as you come forward and as you take the elements of the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the, the symbols, as you hold them and as you wait for me to lead you in partaking of them, I just invite you to meditate on, do I believe he will come? And if I did, how would that change everything? Would you at this time come? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as I read the benediction over you? The benediction is nothing more than a prayer of encouragement and empowerment to live out what we just heard. I found this in a a commentary I was reading this week, and I want you to hear the words and reflect on them as I dismiss you into the world. Remember that the sweet taste of peace during Advent is only that a taste. It is not the full feast yet to come. And the groans induced by our sufferings are not the final sounds. For one day they will be subsumed into a chorus of glory. So sing and let your songs be joyful longings and groan and let your cries be hopeful laments. Amen.